What do you do when you have to make the hardest choice of your life? What do you do when everything you've spent six years working on is on the line when the worst tragedy of your life has just taken place? What do you do when you're a prolific Hollywood director charged with bringing together a cinematic universe that's supposed to take on Kevin Feige's juggernaut that's the MCU? If you're Zack Snyder, you step back. You choose to focus on family. You choose to focus on yourself. And you choose to fight another day. And that's just what he did. Now, as a big fan of Zack Snyder's work, till this past weekend, I, like millions of other fans, got to sit down in the comfort of my home and watch the four-hour and two-minute-long Snyder Cut. This mythical unicorn was a legend no more. It was tangible. It was real. And it was amazing. The story will one day be the premise for a biopic like The Disaster Artist. Somebody will tackle the story of the release the Snyder Cut movement from its inception to its release. There is a lot that went into getting this film to release on HBO Max, and this episode of Patio Commentary will not cover all of it. This is a story of how the film Justice League started, how it was made, and what happened in both of its releases. For the nitty-gritty about the online movement, I do recommend Sean O'Connell's release the Snyder Cut book. He did put in a lot of work getting a solid timeline in place for how things came to be, and it's worth your time if you want more information. I, on the other hand, want to talk about the film itself. I want to talk about how Zack Snyder, Chris Terrio, and company came together to shoot this film right after Batman v Superman bombed in its second week, and how we finally got to see it for ourselves practically five years later. You see, this is the story of Justice League, or more importantly, Zack Snyder's Justice League. All the way back in 2007, Warner Brothers tried to run before they could walk when it was announced that George Miller would be directing Justice League Mortal for the company. The studio tried to get the film fast-tracked before the 2008 writer's strike would impact its production. Ultimately, that film failed to come together, but it did go pretty far down the production process. And believe me, that is a story in and of itself, but for another time. Now, fast forward a few years and Zack Snyder was balls deep in his newly minted DCEU for Warner Brothers, and it was announced in 2014 that Snyder would be directing Justice League after he made Batman v Superman. Warner Brothers was so excited to finally get this massive project off the ground that they originally announced it as two parts. You would have Justice League Part 1 releasing in November 2017, while Justice League Part 2 was only announced with no release date. However, it was heavily speculated that 2019 would be the tentative release date for the sequel. Things got pretty confusing for fans as time went on because at first it was announced that the Justice League films would be a two-parter that was heavily inspired by the New Gods comic from Jack Kirby. Then in 2016, Snyder clarified that the films would be standalone films and not one movie split into two parts. This did anger some fans, myself included. There was no denying that Warner Brothers wanted the DCEU to catch up with and ultimately rival Marvel Studios. And at the time Justice League was announced, we only had the first Avengers movie out. While Age of Ultron was on the horizon, it was another standalone film for Marvel. Many fans were not happy that the films weren't two parts of the same story, but Warner Brothers is gonna Warner Brother, and that's just a reality many of us have come to live with. 
for years now. I think to understand why in 2016 Zack Snyder announced it was going to be two different movies, we have to go back to the release of Batman v Superman. The release of that movie damaged Zack Snyder's standing with Warner Brothers, which is absolutely freaking insane because it wasn't Snyder's fault overall. Studio executives under the leadership of Kevin Tushihara meddled with that film in a way that cut out 31 minutes of narrative story. This caused the general audiences to scratch their heads and come out of the movie without a smile on their face. I know that Snyder's darker take on the characters has been a criticism for the franchise, but thankfully it's been more appreciated as years have gone on, especially in the wake of Marvel and their homogenized films that have all come out. Look, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Marvel fanboy, but I can see it for what it is. I loved that Zack wanted to do something different, and in many instances, something more epic and mythic. But after the release of BVS, Snyder was demoted from the architect of the DCEU when the suits came in with their own team with John Berg and Jeff Johns. It actually goes a bit deeper than just the replacing of Snyder as the head of the DCEU. After BVS bombed, unnamed studio executives pressured the current president of Warner Brothers Pictures at the time, Greg Silverman, to fire Zack Snyder. But Warner Brothers CEO Kevin Tushihara allowed Snyder to stay on, provided that the tone of the movie be lightened. This was the one condition Snyder had to agree to in order to keep his job. The studio also wanted to oversee the production of Justice League, and while Zack was understanding and polite to them, I cannot help but think that in the back of his mind, he was annoyed with what could only be seen as micromanagement. Let's be fair, art cannot be micromanaged. It just ends up working against its core intent. Now, the principal photography for Justice League began April 11, 2016, and this was only weeks after BVS came out and was gutted by critics and fans. Go back and look at that sad Affleck meme that was during the press tour for BVS which was happening just weeks before going to London to film Justice League for the following six months. The response to the neutered version of Batman v Superman must have really hurt morale going into this two-part film. So I can only assume that the two-part film epic was cut down into one movie to reassess the project after its release. Hell, Jeff Johns confirmed on June 3rd, 2016 that Justice League would be more hopeful and optimistic compared to the previous films in the DCEU. Those movies were Man of Steel, BVS, and Suicide Squad. I love all three of those movies. Yes, even Suicide Squad. By the way, release the air cut Warner Brothers, you dirty bastards. But that's a whole other story. But you can tell that Johns hated what Zack had created. And if only the company would have trusted the plan, had patience, and didn't rush to catch up with the competition... What happened over the span of the next five years wouldn't have had to happen. But Hollywood is a reactive business, and sometimes they just react poorly. Keep in mind that the new leadership for the DCEU came in during the early weeks of filming for Justice League. This caused a rift between the studio and the crew. Now, this is just a rumor, but according to New York Times writer Kyle Buchanan, he says, I remember hearing that Jeff Johns rewrote so much of Justice League when Zack Snyder was still directing, that Chris Terrio would complain. Maybe try using some of my pages. Warner Brothers was allegedly so unsatisfied with how John's and Snyder's version was shaping up that they convened a footage summit for other writers, including Joss Whedon, Alan Heinberg, Seth Graham Smith, and Andrea Burloff to offer feedback. Then they went and hired Whedon. Now, 
I have no idea if this rumor is true or not, but given what has transpired from Warner Brothers in the past few years, I actually believe it. I mean, the company hated the idea of the Snyder Cut, and now that it's out, they must be seething that it's more loved than before. If the above rumor is true, that means this was happening during the making of the movie. While Zack and the crew were hard at work, the powers that be were trying to undermine his vision from back in Los Angeles. I think deep down Zack knew this, and that is why he not only shot what they wanted, but what he wanted as well. I don't have a direct quote to pull from, but if my memory serves me correct, Zack has said in fan interviews before that he was hoping to convince the studio of his vision. He was prepared to fight for what he thought was best, and I think he would have won a lot of those battles if tragedy didn't strike in the worst possible way. In March 2017, Zack and Deborah Snyder's daughter Autumn passed away from suicide. By May 2017, Zack and Deborah had stepped down from the movie completely. The Hollywood Reporter originally broke the story with an exclusive quote by Zack, in which he says, In my mind, I thought it was a cathartic thing to go back to work. To just bury myself and see if that was the way through it. The demands of this job are pretty intense. It is all-consuming. And in the last two months, I've come to the realization, I've decided to take a step back from the movie to be with my family, be with my kids who really need me. They're all having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. I can only imagine what was going through his mind while he sat there and gave that quote to the media, especially considering what the article had also said about Zach having been the one who hired Joss Whedon to come in and take the film over the finish line. We now know that wasn't true, and it really makes me question what else Warner Brothers lied about in regards to this movie, and quite literally any other movie that they've made. I mean, Warner Brothers Pictures president Toby Emmerich's comments are just so scummy now. I know he was playing the media game four years ago, but still. Look, just listen to what this article says in regards to how the studio is handling the departure. It says, the studio is fully behind the move. What they are going through is unimaginable, and my heart our hearts go out to them, says Warner Brothers picture president Toby Emmerich. One of the first things the studio floated was the possibility of pushing back the release date of the movie, but the Snyders decided against that. Warner's also extended Snyder's first look deal to give him time to work on other planned projects when he returns to work. Look, this is complete bullshit. If they would have fired Zack a year earlier, it would have cost the company a fortune to bring in a new team to see the movie over the finish line in November 2017. And since the AT&T merger was in the works for 2018, both Toby Emmerich, who replaced former Warner Brothers president Greg Silverman in December 2016, by the way, and Kevin Tushihara pushed for the fall 2017 release because they wanted to secure their bonuses before the merger. Yes, you heard that correct. According to an insider who told The Wrap, the fear was that if Justice League came out in 2018, the AT&T Warner Brothers merger may have forced both Emmerich and Tushihara out, and this meant they wouldn't get their bonuses. So, while Toby Emmerich is still in charge, by the way, now with complete green light power for Warner Brothers and HBO Max, Kevin Tushihara got yeeted from the company in the fall of 2018 after it came out that he used his power to try to get his girlfriend, Charlotte Kirk, acting gigs. Hilarious how the world works out sometimes, isn't that right? Karma's a bitch. Also, just another reason why Kevin Tushihara should never be put in charge of anything is that he was the one who dictated that Justice League be limited to a hard two-hour cut. BBS was cut down from three hours and three minutes to 151 minutes, 
And that caused that movie to have absolute problems at the box office. This was done because they wanted to get the film an extra screening per day. Tushahara wanted Justice League even shorter so they could get more screenings per day. This was about money. This wasn't about artistic integrity. Like I said, Hollywood is a business, and sometimes that really mucks things up. Anyway, back to the Hollywood Reporter article. Now it says, Snyder, after screening a rough cut of Justice League for fellow filmmakers and friends, wanted to add additional scenes. So he brought Whedon on board to write them. But as he prepared to shoot the scenes in England, Snyder realized that it was not the time to leave home. The directing is minimal, and it has to adhere to the style and tone of the template that Zack set, says Emmerich. We're not introducing any new characters. It's the same characters in some new scenes. He's handing the baton to Joss, but the course has really been set by Zack. I still believe that despite this tragedy, we'll still end up with a great movie. Oh, so the directing was minimal, according to Toby Emmerich, right? That rumor is that Joss Whedon actually wrote and shot 80 pages of new script for these reshoots in the summer of 2017. The reshoots lasted two whole months and took place in both London and Los Angeles. Warner Brothers reportedly put up another $25 million into these reshoots, which is much higher than the usual $6 to $10 million for most additional footage needed for movies. This brought the budget to over $300 million, making it the most expensive superhero movie ever made. And not only that, the two months of reshoots cut into Henry Cavill's work on Mission Impossible Fallout. This is where the whole controversy with Cavill's mustache came into play. Originally, Christopher McQuarrie gave Warner Brothers permission to shave Cavill's mustache for the reshoots for the small sum of about $3 million. This is what it would cost to have shut down the production and then digitally add in the mustache later on. But Paramount Pictures kiboshed the idea completely. So Warner Brothers VFX team had no other choice than to use digital effects to remove Cavill's mustache. And uh, well, we all, uh, we all know how bad that whole thing turned out. Now, the mustache wasn't the only controversy to come out of the Whedon reshoots. In fact, in July 2020, cyborg actor Ray Fisher came out with accusations of racism and unprofessional behavior against Joss Whedon, John Berg, and Jeff Johns. The situation has been investigated by Warner Media and remedial action was taken. All we really know about that is that Joss Whedon quit his HBO drama The Nevers as the first season was finishing post-production. Quite frankly, nothing else has come from it, even though Ray Fisher has hinted that there is more that Warner Brothers needs to disclose. Hell, there was even a controversy with the music. After Hans Zimmer opted to not return to compose the score for Justice League, Junkie XL stepped up from his co-composer role with Batman v Superman and was hired to compose the whole thing. After Snyder stepped down and Weeding came on, Junkie XL was removed and freaking Danny Elfman was brought in. And this is where some serious egos came into play. When Elfman was asked if he was going to compose a new Batman theme, considering his 1989 score is so iconic, he simply said no. He said that his Batman theme is the only Batman theme, and that's what we heard in the movie. He even reworked John Williams' Superman score and put that in the film. This was an obvious move from Warner Brothers to try to appeal to a larger audience and further push down Zack Snyder's influence on this movie. And it was noticeable and pretty sad and ultimately pathetic. I think we all can agree on that one. But at this point in the film's production, could you really expect anything else from Warner Brothers? So with the movie's new score 
and the hard 120-minute runtime, it was ultimately ready to hit theaters. Though, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, Warner Brothers cannot market movies, like, at all. The marketing for Justice League kept Superman out of it because they didn't want to spoil his return to the film, even though everybody knew he was going to be coming back. Cavill hated this decision, too, and said that it was ridiculous. I'm pretty sure that Henry Cavill said more, but the dude's pretty polite, and he's entirely correct, by the way. He was in the movie. We all knew he was in the movie. The mustache controversy was too well reported from the summer, and Cavill was on the press tour for the movie, too. Plus, Clark Kent was even featured in the final trailer. Personally, I think they cut around Cavill because of the terrible mustache removal. The CGI gets laughed at by everyone who sees it, and look, I don't fault the VFX team at all. I think they did the best with the time that they had to get it right, but the whole thing overshadowed the movie, and that was just another big reason for the movement to see the Snyder Cut released. Now, the film ultimately came out on November 17, 2017, and while it did do $93.8 million for its opening weekend, that was down by 45% from Batman v Superman's $166 million opening weekend from a year and a half prior. Many people attributed the drop in revenue to the audience's lukewarm response to the film. In part, this was kind of attributed to Rotten Tomatoes for not posting their score until the day before the film came out. Now, I remember going to see the preview night screening of this movie with my very pregnant girlfriend. And we both walked out liking the movie. I mean, yeah, look, I'll admit, I liked it at the time because I thought that that was all we were going to get. I'm not a person to look for the negative in movies and even movies like Justice League. Yes, that is what the first iteration of this movie is known as now. Now, but a lot of us in the Snyder Cut movement were like this. We all knew of the controversy. We all sympathized with Zack Snyder. And we were told that this was his vision just carried over the finish line by Joss Whedon. But in reality, that was an outright lie that we bought hook, line, and sinker, sadly. However, most normies don't actually know the story at all, but they did take the film to a $657 million worldwide total. The diminishing returns for the box office ended up costing Warner Brothers roughly $100 million. This was because the rumored break-even point for Warner Brothers was $750 million at the time. Sadly, the home video sales for the movie paled in comparison with its predecessors, as I said before, Man of Steel pulled in roughly $120 million. BVS earned Warner Brothers an additional $80 million. Justice League, on the other hand, only earned the studio $64 million in home video sales. This is half of what Man of Steel made. However, in all fairness, these are only the numbers that were reported for physical sales. It's been more since then. And then there are even the digital VOD sales that we will never get the full financials for. So take this with a grain of salt. However, those numbers do somewhat speak for themselves to an extent. I think many fans like myself wanted the home video release to have something similar to the Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. We wanted the complete movie because the two hours we got was definitely not that. The Blu-ray just had one damn deleted scene. Just one. It was bare bones. And you could tell that Warner Brothers just wanted this thing out and to be done with it. Now, with the movie having come out, Warner Brothers made no mention of a sequel. Wonder Woman 2 had been greenlit, Aquaman was in production, and Shazam was on the horizon. No mention from the studio about a Justice League 2, and no real mention from Zack Snyder in the public sphere at all, 
outside of his social media account on Vero. But like Dr. Ian Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, life always finds a way. A fan named Robert Mata posted a petition on change.org to demand that Zack Snyder's director's cut get released on home video. This petition is what kicked off the movement as a whole. And while you might be thinking to yourself, Robert Mata is an unsung hero, he isn't, in my opinion. Eventually, he did try to monetize the release the Snyder Cut petition for his own benefit. He wanted to raise $4,000 to buy gear to make a documentary about the film. And when called out, he doubled down on it. Looking at the petition now, all mentions of the documentary are gone. But at some point, he did claim that he was hacked, which I personally don't believe because I covered this crowdfunding event on my channel, Three Buck Theater. But thankfully, the scummy profiteers didn't ruin the movement, which at this point has moved just beyond them and has taken a life of its own on the Internet. Many, many blue checkmark pundits on Twitter tried to deny the existence of the Snyder Cut, and many of them have tried to claim that the movement was toxic as a way to deflect from them being wrong. The truth is, there are some jerks in the Snyder Cut movement, but most are just average nice people. The movement took up Zach's cause for suicide prevention and joined forces with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to raise over half a million dollars for anti-suicide awareness. The fan base has spent years trying to save lives, but that often gets overlooked because someone said something mean on Twitter. As I said at the beginning of this, this isn't a retelling of the Snyder Cut movement, but what is most important about it is that it worked. On May 20th, 2020, during an online watch party for Man of Steel, Zack Snyder, joined by Henry Cavill and some superfans, announced that the Snyder Cut of Justice League would be coming to HBO Max in 2021. This bell could not be unrung, and fans have not been able to shut up talking about it since. I say that jokingly, but it's true. I cannot go a day without talking about the Snyder Cut in some capacity. And even though I might get cranky about it some days, I still love it. And I love you guys for your dedication to this film and its creators. With Zack Snyder's Justice League officially announced, all we had to do as fans was wait. And it was a long wait, okay? Now, the COVID-19 pandemic didn't make things easier, but Zack kept fans up to date with his progress on the film, while many of us debated if the remastered cut would have a budget of $30 million or the rumored $70 million. Turns out it was definitely the latter. HBO Max and Warner Media gave Zack a lot of money to bring his baby home, to give fans what they wanted, and to show the world his true vision. But over the course of the past 10 months, we learned a lot about how the old leadership at Warner Brothers treated Zack and his talent. We learned about what was cut from the film and what they pushed back on. And more importantly, we learned how much lip service Warner Brothers gave the fans of the DCEU. And one of the more interesting things about this film is that for the Snyder Cut, Zack took zero pay from the studio in order to maintain full control. This was how important it was to get this movie out, to get his vision out to the fans that supported him. There was no compromise. And even when Warner Brothers said no additional footage could be shot for the film, Zack rebuffed their demands and shot an additional five minutes of footage with Ben Affleck, Jared Leto, Amber Heard, and even Henry Cavill, minus the mustache. If I'm being honest, I think Zack did this to set up phase two of the release of Snyder Cut movement. He had a five-film arc planned, and even though the powers that be at the studio are championing his trilogy as being complete, we fans know that that's a lie. He set up quite a few cliffhangers for the four-hour and two-minute movie. 
and it's one that fans like myself want to see come to fruition. Probably the best thing about the Snyder Cut is that people who previously hated the idea have kind of come around to say that they were wrong. People on the internet said that they were wrong. That is important. Now, some industry pundits have praised it, and even though some haters have doubled down on their nonsense, the general audience, i.e. the normies, loved it, or at least liked it more than the 2017 predecessor. Personally, I loved it. It was exactly like I thought it would be, and that's great. Getting to see Zack's vision come to life in a four-hour epic is just amazing. The 4x3 IMAX aspect ratio actually works, and now that the Justice is Grey edition is out on HBO Max, I can watch the movie in black and white, which I totally will, and is totally going to rock. And even though Warner Brothers wants to be done with Zack Snyder, he's still telling his audience to push forward, keep watching, and keep talking about it. He's not done, and quite frankly, neither are we. Hashtag Restore the Snyderverse. If you guys like this video, please do me a favor and leave a like on YouTube, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to subscribe to Podio Commentary. New episode coming next week. I look forward to your thoughts and your opinions on this. Thank you for listening and have a great day.